Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. This evening, I'm sat with Cedric Brucher, CEO of Heartstone Investments, a real estate investment manager 100% focused on UK suburban private rented housing, or as the US call it, single family. Now, Cedric's not a real estate native. He was born in Switzerland, began his career in Switzerland with McKinsey, and worked within multi-asset investment and finance for the likes of Barclays Wealth and Architas, to name just a few. So I am really curious how he settled in his last venture. But before I get ahead of myself, Cedric, why not tell us how Chapter 1 began? Yes, hi, uh, Nick. Thank you very much. So, yeah, as you said, I'm from Switzerland. Uh, I was the first, uh, I guess, in my broader family, to, to go to university. And my passion really was in history. I love history. I still read loads of books uh, about history, but I felt a bit guilty not having a proper job. Um, so I thought studying business was probably a, a sensible thing to do. Um, so I started business in economics. And um, towards the end, we had various um, job fairs at the university. And uh, I sent basically two applications. One was for McKinsey. And the other one, even uh, I'm in Switzerland, was for Nestle, because I quite like uh, what they're doing. And they, their head office is quite close to, to where I grew up. And then, yeah, I had a job offer from McKinsey, and I started there. Um, and McKinsey is a, is a consulting firm uh, with, with lots of different clients. Uh, but in Switzerland, obviously, a lot of the clients were in financial services, banks and insurance companies. And my first client was an insurance uh, company. And that's how I ended up in, in financial services. Now, I think most of our sort of audience are familiar with the McKenzie's, the Baines, these these big US um, advisory consultancy firms. But there is generally a bit of a mystique as, as to what goes on on the inside. Uh, so, tell us a bit a bit more in terms of what what types of problems were you were you involved in then at the at that early stage of the career? Yeah, it's a good question. I think. Usually, consultants are hired to, to solve complex problems or to add extra resources to, to, to a team to focus on something that there's just not enough time uh, to, 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 to look at. So some of the problems are, and they're probably the best, most publicized around co- cost-cutting and efficiency, and I was working on some of those in my early days as well. Others were around growing businesses, technological transformation, these types of projects. I think what was really fascinating was I w- was 25 and, and, and in your first projects, you're engaging with the head of sales or the finance director, even at times with the CEO, which was uh, uh, slightly frightening uh, at times, but, but uh, a very, very steep learning curve. Over time, then I had two kind of um, spikes or, or fields alongside financial services i also did uh, some projects in transportation trains above and underground i worked uh, for some time in, in in our london office as well and in morocco as well where, where i was working on an airline project which was uh, which was fascinating as well what do you think given we were talking then about sort of learning and this uh, the whole podcast here is dedicated to these sort of chapters of of steep learning curves and then sort of consolidation when do you remember the first time that that learning started to slow? But within McKinsey, it, it's quite fast-paced because most projects are between three and six months. And then often you, you one moves to a new type of project or a new client. And, and there's, a, again, a very quick period of immersion in terms of the industry, 
the client, the, the dynamics of the and problems of the client. Um, so that was, there was not really <laughs> any time to slow down. I had two years and, and McKinsey had an up or out policy. So either you were promoted or you had to leave. Um, so I had two years. Then I came to London to do a master's in finance at, at London Business School. Then I had a couple of years in the London office and then got promoted again and then a couple of years back in Zurich. But it's in that last stint where I got into the office one morning, turned on my laptop, opened PowerPoint for another client presentation. And I, I just felt it gets a bit boring now. I don't want to do any more PowerPoints. Um, that's kind of, <laughs> that was for me the moment where I said, maybe I need to have a little think. I literally, I still remember it vividly opening that PowerPoint. I think I've done a lot of PowerPoints now for six years. Let's let's think about something else. I, I'll ask you at the end as, as to whether this is sort of the next 20 years, whether you did open PowerPoint since, but I am. Um, uh, <laughs> well, I can, I can say now, then I moved to Barclays and I was, it literally it took me a couple of months to figure out that you can actually go into a meeting without the PowerPoint presentation. It was eye-opening, but it is possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's talk about that. Geographically, where are we now? Six years into Cedric's career, are you in London, uh, Switzerland? So I started in Switzerland, been in London. Then uh, at that time, I met my my now partner, uh, but I had to go back to, to Switzerland. Uh, so I was back in Zurich. And then the next move was, was kind of more uh, for personal reasons. So either my partner would move from London or, or, or I would move from Zurich to London or she would move uh, from, 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 from London to Switzerland. So I said, well, I'll try first. And effectively, I had a three-month kind of break from McKinsey, some sort of a sabbatical, to look for a job. And I that was in, what, 2004. Um, and I wanted to explore my two areas. One was kind of that I was passionate about, transport, tourism, which was one, and the other one was financial services. I didn't get anywhere on, on the transport and, and side and tourism. I couldn't find a network. Uh, I mean, remember, I, I had hardly... And knew anyone. I had a few connections from McKinsey, not many, but I never worked here. Um, so it's pretty daunting to to go out there and look for a job. Financial service at the time was was strong. Um, I connected with a few headhunters, uh, and, and at some stage, uh, after about six weeks into my three months, I was interviewing for three different roles at Barclays, uh, which was at the time growing very fast. I then opted for one of those, and. Um, on the last day of these three months, I had the job off, <laughs> so it was a bit tight. Then uh, I had a short break, uh, and, and I started in the summer on my first job. Out of curiosity, obviously, there's, you've you've mentioned about sort of there is a there's a real sort of personal sort of pull as to why it has to be sort of London, and of course, you know, we all got bills to pay as well, which puts a bit of time, bit of time pressure on it. But do you remember at that stage what you were looking for? In that next step or if you could afford to be so so sort of strategic i want on a very very basic level i was looking to getting from consulting advising someone to do something to doing it myself that that was the the obvious step from from consulting into the industry so that was a, at a very high level what i wanted to do i wanted to to on my level come up with, with strategic ideas but then deliver them myself and see them to the conclusion Whilst I think in McKinsey, we, we had lots of great ideas and, and consulting and advised, but then someone else would then bring them to life. And maybe six or 12 months later, you might have read the papers that something happened, uh, something came out of it. But I wanted to be part of the of the next phase. That, that really was at, at a very kind of abstract level what, what I was hoping to achieve. And that's why, for instance, when I was interviewing at Barclays, one of the roles was within their internal strategy team. 
which might have been a, a, a good career move overall, but I felt I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go into a more operational role. Well, don't don't leave runs to the tent hooks. Yeah, was the was the, the ideal the same as the reality? It was, yes. It was very hands-on uh, from day one. Um, so very little spreadsheets, a lot of uh, sitting with people uh, and getting stuff done. So I was working on IT projects, which were um, some complex, some not very complex, uh, liaising between the IT team who was doing the delivery and, and, and the, the client, the internal client, who, who needed a system to, to um, run their, their specific departments, for instance. So that's kind of my, my first couple of years. I was in... Role. They were called COO roles, but they were not chief operating officers. They were basically uh, a helping hand to someone running a, an MD, running a department to, to get stuff done, whether it was the planning, the budgeting, or some uh, specific projects. So it was very hands-on uh, in that sense. And obviously, we said at the start, so you're not a real estate sort of native. So the mm. tool, by the sounds of things, the tools you're using here sound like they are sort of very, aside from your sort of your displeasure with PowerPoint, they sound quite it heavy these these solutions Is, have i got that right yes and no i mean i'm not an it person uh but i, I do problem solving and change management and, and in, in any industry um everything was was being automated and still is i mean we think we are now in the, in the times of prop tech and fintech but it happened a long time ago it just didn't have those those labels but we we yeah a lot of paper-based systems and processes were, were being automated uh, uh 15, 20, 30 years ago, and that was always part of, of managing change and, and delivering, um, enabling some of these departments to, to work more efficiently and, and quicker. Well, back on that, you know, that's, a, that's a lovely sort of segue. Then we're talking about sort of quicker. How is, how was this benefiting your your career? What what lessons do you think you were learning at this stage? Going into a large corporate, uh, and I think that was a difference from, from McKinsey, uh, as a project manager, you're kind of insulated from from politics, from the hierarchy of an organisation. I think coming into Barclays, I, I was uh, initially I was in Barclays Capital at the investment bank. It was it was fairly cutthroat, so you had to kind of network, sometimes watch your back. I think that was the, was the biggest learning uh, in terms of, of managing people around me. I, I didn't have any experience in that, um, so that was at times not terribly pleasant and at times uh you make great friends that, that, that um yeah so i think that that was my my major learning there now not to, yeah, not to invoke a, yeah, a sort of a stereotypical um <laughs> uh, sort of swiss in terms of it being the impartial you know does <laughs> does that reflect your personality uh mm. i didn't like the some of the cutthroat uh stuff and and, and uh, underhand no I, I just couldn't i didn't enjoy that very much but that was more because i think initially i was in the investment banking world i then moved across to the barclays wealth which was wealth management private banking asset management which, which is from a kind of a people side much much closer to, to how i like to work which is collaborative now you you use a phrase about talking about sort of mckenzie about sort of um up or out and sort of two two year cycles within everyone's sort of uh, own development you're now you're now working then for uh, in in banking. Mm-hmm. You know, once once more again, you know, obviously, quite um, has the the reputation of being a young person's career as well, sort of very very for a past paced. Is uh, did that sort of live out? Was that or do you also once more within this sort of very steep but quite competitive sort of environment for your own career? 
yes, I think um, it, it was. It wasn't as explicitly up or out, but there, it was, I think, as you call it, a, a relatively young person's game. And it was before the great financial crisis, but when people moved relatively rapidly up uh, or, or onwards as well, which created a lot of uh, fluidity uh, and opportunities for everyone to, to move within the company, to move up, to move sideways, try new things. And I enjoyed that. I think that was very interesting. I, I, after a couple of years in my first role, I, I went into a second role and then into a third role. So I had three different roles. The third role, uh, which was a, a very interesting, my very first boss at McKinsey, who was a great guy I'm still in touch with, by complete coincidence, came to the same department within Barton as well and, and, uh, and then offered me a job. <laughs> so I worked for him twice within about six years in completely different circumstances. So, yeah, so there was a huge amount to, to, to learn and to do and, and it felt like things were progressing until... October 2008, uh, when obviously the, the whole music stopped in terms of, of banking. And the result of that was that effectively the, the senior level MDs stopped moving. And then it just kind of trickled down. No one stopped. And no one moved again. There were just zero career opportunities. There weren't really any job losses, but there were because no one moved, nothing opened up. And it just, the whole thing came stuck. To someone who's who's been who sort of built their career, and and you you, you talked about it, you know, being almost sort of quite explicit in, in the early days of your career about sort of if you're not moving up, you know, you're you're dead weight. How <laughs> does that make? How does that sort of affect then in terms of not only sort of your career, but also in terms of sort of how you regard that that career? Well, again, I had a, a moment again at some point. I came home and my partner told me I was getting a bit. All the middle aged, so I think. <laughs> well, at least you've got a nice <laughs> some direct so, feedback there. Well, at least you've got great support then. <laughs> yes, it was very helpful. Um, so I think at that point, so sometimes I think in a career, uh, things just happen opportunistically, and it's like a river, and then you kind of move left or right um, slightly in a random fashion. Sometimes things are driven externally. I think at that point. I, I took a step back more strategically uh, and say, so actually, um, I was in my mid-30s, what do I do next? Uh, I've kind of landed in financial services, as I've explained, through a bit of accident being Swiss, working in Zurich, and then getting that job at Barclays. I felt the kind of um, the exciting years in banking were probably behind us. Uh, it just felt that there was an enormous amount of regulation. and It, it, it became more corporate, more bureaucratic. And whilst I was a part as well, we obviously uh, part of the the solution for, for working with uh, private individuals uh, is to 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 offer or work with them in building uh, investment portfolios, and that opened my eyes to the world of asset management. And I felt asset management was was an industry that that was having having be- better prospects over the next uh, decade or so. So I actively looked at, at opportunities in, in asset management. And I effectively found a role through through a website, eFinancial Careers. I literally got on, onto that and started interviewing and, and ended up with a, with a company called SCI, which is a, a, a multi-asset, multi-management firm based uh, based in the US with, with, with an office in in London. So go on, tell us a bit more about sort of what that role is, because again, lots of our audience will be will might be familiar with some of the some of the brands. They might probably won't be very familiar, myself included, in terms of actually of the what is the day job so 
tell us a bit more about sort of what was included and so what was involved in this. Yeah, I think Nick, that, I think that is a really good point. Uh, more generally, in terms of career planning, I think the world of uh, <laughs> of of jobs or, or, or different industries is extremely mur- not murky or obscure to, to the to, to people who are not doing these jobs. And I felt that from day one. So having not worked in in, in, in financial services, I mean, we had career fairs and stuff at Union, and, and but I didn't know anything about what I was going into. And I still have the, the complete blind spots. I think as you go through a career, you, you find certain things, certain industries, and you look into it, and that I didn't know about. Jobs, firms, industries, segments, sectors. And I think, without being too political, but I think we often forget that some people just by growing up in an environment where family members uncle aunts etc are inside an industry have an enormous advantage because they know what's out there how these things work how they operate what jobs are out there Uh, and i think that is one of the most challenging and interesting things in any career that that you're trying to open these doors and trying to get an insight into i didn't know about asset management when i when i started at barclays and even towards the end so then i thought this is a new industry never heard of it so i think part of a a career journey is to um for me at least to, to find people network connect and ask and ask and ask lots of questions find out what is this how does this look like and I'm still on that journey today. I, I, having joined Hearthstone uh, a few years ago, learning about the world of, of real estate and property and development. Yes, it's it's a, yeah, it's a more general point. I think um, that that we're all struggling with. I find it really interesting. Uh, but there, there are enormous. Um, it's a very transparent kind of a journey planning a career. Yeah. Anyway, I haven't answered your question, which was, <laughs> what was the job? I didn't really know before I started. Effectively, I was going from, well, there, there was some thinking behind that. At Barclays, we had uh, investment funds. So let's say let's say you have a pension, that, that money has to be invested somewhere. Uh, and Barclays had some of these products, which we promoted and sold to the private bankers within Barclays. So my distribution was internal. So my client was a private banker in Monaco or London. And I wanted to learn more about external distribution. So distributing products to an IFA up and down the country or a a, a bank in in the Middle East or something like that. And that was the role at SCI. So I was in a role which was supporting the sales team and working with the sales team in in, in, uh, in gathering assets from from from, from external clients, so I, I learned an awful lot about uh, was a lot on the road, traveling, uh, and pitching uh, new ideas to to people I never met before. Um, thinking about what story, what angle to take, and and, and trying to, to convert clients and, and raise assets. That that was effectively the job, and it was great. It was UK and Middle East. So it was the first time I traveled and uh, did some work in uh, in the Middle East as well. Where do you go to Dubai, Saudi Arabia, Israel as well? It was, it was a really good good job. But then um, I kept in touch with someone I met at Barclays, who then became CEO at uh, at Arkitas. So he then offered me a job. Uh, and Arkitas is again is a multi asset uh, fund of funds business. So it fitted very well with, uh, with my short stint at SCI. Actually, because I was only eleven months, I, I it was that first time initial period in a job it just it's like a sponge you just soak everything up and you learn a lot and that was a really good foundation for me to go into architecture where i um, joined as a head of business development 
So once more to set set the scene. Whilst this, I think you, you've told that story really, really well, and it goes to sort of now, now on on the road, head of business development. Yeah. But what business are exactly are you hoping to win? Is this is <laughs> yeah. this is this money? Is it, is, that, is it as simple as that? Money to invest? Yes, it's effectively our clients were uh, financial advisors who look after individuals' pensions uh, and they need uh, to find a home for, for that money. So these will be investment funds that they're investing and allocating to. And we were promoting the Architus investment funds to those financial advisors. They would then invest in our funds and, and that money would then be managed by Architus and, and the company then earns a fee on that. And we will compete, if we give you maybe some mainstream names, other firms who would do something like that would be companies like, uh, obviously they were much bigger than Architus, but they're, they're more kind of known, such as Schroeder's or Fidelity or, or BlackRock, companies like that. Okay. And the, the business development involved the... Uh, running and building a sales team, a marketing team, PR, and uh, a product development. So the people you're uh, pitching pitching to, doing, uh, doing the sales to, is it, yeah. you mentioned individuals, is it including some of the big brands like the institutions that I might be aware of, like a Standard Life's and the Axes or the Jupiters or... Um, no, uh, they will be our competitors. Sm- well, AXA, AXA is, it was the owner, actually, of Architects. No, these these firms will be our competitors. So my my... Uh, prospect I would talk to would be um, someone who is a financial advisor. These often were quite small firms okay. uh, up and down the country. So there could be sometimes five people, sometimes 15 people. Small financial advising advisors who, and their job is to advise individuals. So we wouldn't advise the individuals. We would talk to financial intermediaries, effectively. But it wouldn't be, for example, wholesale uh, pension funds? No, no, it wouldn't be that. Okay, yeah, that's more what we're doing now at Hearthstone, where we're talking to bigger institutional investors. Um, that, that's uh, the, 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 yeah, so that's more institutional as opposed to kind of retail distribution. Uh, and is th- was that a strategic decision about sort of focusing on the individuals, or was it a positioning within the market? It just, I mean, Architects was set up before I joined, so that was just the the, the core business of, of Architects. Uh, so that's just. Uh, where it started and linked to, to, to the, their overall strategy. Well, then let's get back. Uh, you have to forgive my sort of curiosity, but um, let's get let's get back on then some the the career journey. So, you've spent six years at McKenzie, six years at Barclays. We've done eleven months sort of uh, stint uh, at SEI, and now you've re- rejoined a former boss at Arctas. But you, as, you know, as, your, as your partner now said, you know you're middle aged now, so you're getting you're getting a bit long in the tooth. You know, what? How? How did that change sort of your career planning? You know, did were you were you taking a strategic sort of focused review in terms of what each job was going to get you to? Did you allow yourself to think like that, um, or not? Yes, I mean, uh, absolutely. I mean, the SEI job I think uh, was a clear move away from from an internal job in banking to something which is external sales in, in asset management. But I didn't have a team. So in terms of kind of, um, it was quite a narrow role. Um, my old boss then offered me one job, which uh, I thought wasn't senior enough. And then uh, a few months later, he offered me a more senior job, <laughs> which I thought was a good progression. Uh, um, I hope he's not listening in. <laughs> um, but effectively, it was, it, it was a, a clear stretch for me in terms of... Uh, 
having to build a sales team and, and having sales targets as well uh, uh, and building a, a, a kind of a function. The team was relatively small. So there was a lot to, to be built. Um, so so that role was was clearly a, a step up from the previous role. So it was a fairly straightforward move. And I, I was uh, very stretched uh, at times in, in a good way. And I think within um, the world of investment management or asset management, there's three types of roles or targets one can have. One is the sales target, uh, so selling funds, raising capital. The second one is, is running the PL. And the third one is, is running the money. So you have investment targets or investment return targets. I was never one for, for, for the latter. That's not really my skill set. But getting into Arcturus and having that business development role with the sales target was, was very important uh, for me from a career progression. And I did that for, for a few years. And then my boss was very uh, helpful in in, uh, in 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 coaching and mentoring me to the next level, which which is the PNL, which um, I then took over after three years. That the PNL for the UK side of the business, and he, uh, I learned an awful lot from him uh, on that front. To so then um, do that as well. Well, at this at this point, you know we like to do a bit of research on the uh, on the pod. So I spoke to a couple of sort of your former sort of colleagues and employees um, over the years. Now, I asked them both, what would they consider to be your most prominent traits? What do you think they said? I guess I can be quite demanding and relentless. Uh, I think that's, uh, but, but fair as well. I think that's hopefully what they, what they said. They, they, um, uh, there's, de- there's, def- there's definitely parts of that in, in that. I went sort of list off all the superlatives because it was it was it was incre- it was incredibly sort of gush- gushing, which is obviously not that's not the tone we want to strike with the uh, with this with this pod. We want to get get more into the um, uh, the muck and bullets of it. But there's there is something that one of them said that I I found really interesting. So from that that whole list of re- of real positives, they suggested that Cedric was extremely well prepared, structured. But a bit later on in the, in the when they're still listing these sort of these traits, they also said that you were always open to new ideas, and I thought those those two don't they're not necessarily bedfellows, are they? Someone who's very prepared and structured has a has a plan. They've got a plan. So having a plan doesn't necessarily mean you're open to new ideas and deviations, does it? it so first thing, first question is, do you agree with that summation? Do you think you do? Do they, do you have those two traits of of preparation and structure, and also being open to new ideas? Yeah, I think the first one is yes. I mean, uh, it's probably part of my my Swiss Swissness that I do prepare. But even I think part of uh, if I go back to, to to my boss at Arkitas, who was probably one of the the best speakers I've ever met uh, professionally. And it came so easy to him. And he just gave these great company updates uh, when he spoke. He was so he was so easy. It was so good. Um, and I asked him, how do you do that? And he said, I just prepare. And he literally locks himself in a room and he speaks out loud and does it again and again. So even people who are really good at what they're doing and you feel it, they just make it up as they go along. They, some of them uh, <laughs> prepare a lot. I think... Um, I'm not very good at thinking on my feet. Uh, I'm, I'm not always that secure. Uh, so that's I get security and, and, and safety and assurance from being prepared. The risk with that is that it's it's then sometimes hard to deviate from that and, and pick up new ideas. Um, so I think I, I sometimes 
too often, I think, say no to new ideas in the first instance. Um, but I think I'm once I kind of step back, uh, and, and I think given I'm not someone who's done the same job forever, I'm, I'm, I'm acutely aware of my technical limitations um, in, in anything I do. So I do need to have people around me who are actually better than I am at doing stuff, uh, whether that's a, a great salesperson, someone who knows how marketing works. Um, so I can't, on one level, survive without these people coming in with good ideas, uh, and that's, I think, probably what what that means in terms of being being open to, to, to new ideas and then then kind of letting go. And then um, I think uh, the colleagues, former colleagues you 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 spoke with, were both highly competent um, and good at their jobs. So it was easier for me once we got to know each other to trust them that they can do something and and, and deliver it. This idea of Cedric's sort of preparation, it was common in both in both those conversations I, I had, but so also was the phrase about vision mm-hmm. um, and about having a very, very clear mindset and goals that were not only sort of, it sounds like, some, you know, we're obviously very clear to you, but you also had, had the, um, this ability then to share this as well to others. And I, th- I think that's that is a greater talent. It's one thing, sort of having a clear view from your path, but being able to to grab people and take them along along with that, so they see also the same vision. I think is 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 a real rare leadership talent. So I'm curious about sort of how you've honed that over the years. Um, well, naturally, I'm not a confident speaker. I'm, I did a few of those. Um... Myers Briggs assessments, and I tend to come out as an introvert. Um, uh, and that's not, I don't know whether you're familiar with, with that. It doesn't mean I introvert. Am, I am. Yeah. And so, I think it's, it's interesting, is it, whereby sort of we have this idea of what a leader is. Yeah. And, and often it's this sort of quite sort of extrovert, it's the person at the front behind a lectern, sort of yeah. um, things. But you know, we know that there are also there are lots of different type of successful leaders, and and again, lots of people, whether it's myself or people listening to this, will have experienced lots of different leaders, some good and some some bad. So yeah, I think I think sort of more modern appreciation is that not everyone has to be that egotistical sort of extrovert in order to be a successful leader. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, but I think it, it does need focus in, in in some of these roles in terms of overcoming some of those. Uh, barriers or even shyness um, and for me it was when I joined McKinsey I mean there were a lot of very uh, confident and, and, and well-spoken people uh, in Zurich and then even more so when I came to the London office it was uh, naturally it was full of uh, extremely eloquent uh, Oxbridge graduates and I, I felt like I was being bulldozed I, I couldn't keep up uh, so because of that I had to practice even more my communication skills presentation skills and I think uh, one thing I've learned from people I've worked with who I've seen speak is, is um, to, to get to your point, having a vision is, is one thing. And, and the, the most important thing is if you've presented it once, assume nobody's picked it up. You've got to do it again and again and again and again. Same message again and again and again. At some point it will sink in. Um, and, and it also demonstrates that uh, you're not going to let go. I think people think, well, Let's give it a month and come up with something new. But if you just keep on going, it doesn't go away. Then it will happen ultimately. It's that conviction and persistence that is really important. And communication is a great tool, uh, both in inside the team, but also in terms of uh, across 
peers uh, in terms of output management. Now, uh, I also, sort of in our research, I, I asked about periods in your career whereby that they remember as being milestones or real tests for you. Mm-hmm. And I think we're approaching one right right now, whereby one of them described, and you, you gave a hint to this, about sort of Arcatas is owned by AXA. Yes. Uh, and... But there became a there was a a divorce uh, at, at some point during your time Axa, um, sorry uh, uh, at Arcatas, whereby Axa was step was stepping back and I I, I say this with sort of hesitancy because I, I'm not sure I necessarily understood the intricacies of this but they said that the summary was that Arcatas could have been toast <laughs> but but that sort of thanks to Cedric and that vision it wasn't. Does this ring true? Yeah, I don't want to take all the credit for it, but uh, yes. I mean, basically, we at Architects, despite what I said before in terms of learning about external distribution, the majority of our sales came through an internal channel which was sold in 2014 or 15. So our whole um, revenue stream uh, was at risk. So that, that part of the business was sold to, to standard life. So the only way for us to survive was to find new clients through our own distribution channels. Um, Out of interest, just time-wise, how long was this? Because you talked about taking over the UK P&L. Was this yeah. before or after you taking it? It was big... during that time. So okay. it was exactly at that junction, so, which was very helpful because I, I could look, basically make a case. Well, that's one way to look at it, isn't it? I'm not sure that <laughs> not too many people, they would, they would consider that to be very helpful. Well, it was helpful yeah. in a way that I, by presenting a P&L that didn't look very appealing without <laughs> investing in growth, I could make the case. Um, <laughs> so my, my point was we need to invest significant amounts of money to build our own distribution now because effectively our, we've lost our distribution. Um, so you, you're basically a sitting duck that will just shrink uh, over time. And I tried to make my case. No one was listening. And again, I have to be very grateful to my boss. He said, look, I know you don't like external people telling you what to do, but you need an external consultant who comes in. They say exactly what you're saying, but it's an external person. They help you present this to the senior management team. You've got a better chance of getting funding for your own idea. So I did that. Uh, and um, and I was successful. Uh, so we got significant funding to beef up our sales team. So we had, at the end, I think a team of overall about 10 in sales, built a marketing team. We got budget for brand, rebrand, uh, advertising. And um, and then the, the hard time started. That's when I learned a lot about upward management in terms of people wanted immediate results. Uh, three months in, nothing happened. We didn't sell anything. Six months, we sold a little bit more. Uh, and then all of a sudden they started kicking in and uh, and it was it was a big success um, but um but it, yeah so that that was that transformation which was brilliant i really enjoyed that it was one of the best uh, best few years in my career well elephant in the room there Cedric. you know given it was going so well you've just achieved the um, uh, sort of winning the heart, hearts and minds of the senior management team why didn't you stay uh, there's two reasons one was once i had built the team uh, it, it was that's my skill set: problem solving, building processes, teams, building them together. Then, at some point, it becomes repetitive. You have a new sales target, new year. You start delivering that. I, I, at that point, I couldn't really add an awful lot more value because the, the sales team was better than I was at selling. The marketing team was better at marketing than I was. 
But secondly, and I think equally or even more importantly, I felt that the the owner of our business, AXA, was um, losing focus on, on the UK market and our specific segment. So owning the PNL, I, I felt that the time was coming up where we were moving from a growth. They had the growth, it was profitable, but as a company, uh, AXA changed their CEO as well, and he was turning away from asset management more towards insurance. Uh, and I felt that the business was becoming more of a cash cow. Uh, so trying to maintain certain levels of growth and minimum spend and investment, that's not where I thrive. Um, so I felt I, I, it was time for me to move on. And ultimately, I was right that that business was then sold to Lion Trust a few years later. So I, I kind of uh, felt the music was up uh, or the music started to stop slowly, which it had uh, three years on. So I then was looking for my next move uh, with, I guess, a whole bag of new skills, in particular running a P&L, which is kind of an ingredient to, to run a, a business uh, overall. And I got approached occasionally by various headhunters, and, and, and one of them uh, approached me for a role at Cardano, which uh, they were looking to develop a defined contribution business as a co-head. I joined there. But as it happens, once you're in the market, people keep calling you. So five weeks into that job, I then got a call for this role at Hearthstone. Uh, despite only having started, uh, I, I felt it was sufficiently interesting to explore and things went very quickly. So within five months, I kind of joined and left Cardano, which was a great business. Uh, and I'm still in touch with uh, with some of the people there. Um, but I felt Hearthstone would be the type of role that would be the right one for uh, that stage in, in, in my career. Why? Well, firstly, it was, I mean, the, the CEO uh, job title. I don't want to lie about that. That is a nice thing to have. I wanted that. Secondly, it was... A small business, as so I'd done three times six years at large corporates, I was getting a little bit bored of that, the reporting, the governance, all these management meetings and board meetings and things. I got really bored of this. So I wanted something slightly more entrepreneurial and dynamic, but I didn't have the ideas or confidence to set up my own business. And to a degree, I didn't have the financial liberty to do that either. So Hearthstone was kind of a good way to run a, a business. Uh, it needed some fixing, uh, some problem solving, which uh, suits my skill set. But in terms of strategically, why I was attracted to, to Hearthstone was that it uh, it did UK residential property, but from an investment perspective. And, and, and that's something uh, in my six, seven years of architects at Barclays, selling investment products, the world had evolved very quickly uh, from multi-asset investors would, would in, in the olden days allocate to equities and fixed income. And then the, the third category called alternatives uh, started emerging. And initially, that was commercial property or infrastructure. But the, the amounts of, of allocations of an overall portfolio will, will grow from maybe 5% to 20% or 30% even. And within that, more and more different types of asset classes would emerge. And, and, and residential property was one of those. And it, 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 I loved it as an investment. So I came in not from the real estate side. I came in from an investor side, looking at what's coming out of this. How does this work for someone investing? What can I? What are the benefits? And that I felt it was a great story, an untold story uh, to a degree as well. How different is it? How big how a different? risk? Yeah. How big? How big a challenge? How big a risk was this then to leave you know, the career you'd built up so so far? It's interesting, you mentioned about the attraction of the, of the CEO, yeah. 
But there's a there's a risk there, isn't there? Because coming into in as a number one, yeah, when you don't have the track record in that in that field. Yes, I think uh, there was a number of risks. I think my fallback always when when I make career decisions is I know I can do project management. So rightly or wrongly, I think even if I'm kind of out of work, I could probably somewhere do some project management for 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 my bigger firm, smaller firm uh, to kind of get by. So that's kind of my my safety net whether it really exists i don't know but that's why i feel sometimes i can take a bit of risk but yes it was it's a very different proposition in terms of of coming from a a corporate role which seemed fairly safe to something which uh which wasn't safe and uh i had every chance to fail as well Um, but i I, to a degree i I felt that it was something i wanted to do and the assets as well because you talk with with, um we talk about this being a a wholly sort of residential asset class. Mm-hmm. Um, how different is that to the the multi assets, the processes that you've been involved in, in the past? It's it's much more operational to to, to do multi assets. So if you look at the equity side of the multi asset, is it's it's buying and selling equities, uh, which is a fairly technical process. It, it requires analysis and, and spreadsheets and. And, and, and decision making whilst in residential property we buy houses on behalf of our investors and let them to tenants collect their rent uh, maintain the properties look after the tenants make sure that they're doing well uh, it's very involved during covid um, uh, particularly the first lockdown uh, we we knew every single tenant who had challenges with we, we, paying rent and we tried uh, to work with them we, we pledged not to let anyone go we, we wanted to stick with our tenants and, and they, they stuck with us so you hear real life stories uh, you don't get that in a, in a normal uh, investment role i think that that was the, the big big difference uh, and yeah they're, they're, they're building so you can drive up to up and down the country there's four, 1400 houses that, that are owned by, by Highstone funds at the moment now, at this point, I just wanted to bring something else in so that, that we learned during our research. And I, I must admit, I found this fascinating. Our source said they'd never discussed this with you directly, but it's something they had observed several times during the time that you'd worked together. And they said that to them, Cedric would never accept a challenge that he couldn't see exactly how he was going to achieve it, how long it was going to take, and what the end result was going to be. <laughs> now that's that's obviously their observation of you. Yeah. Does that ring that's, true? I never would accept a challenge that I don't know how and when to deliver. Yeah. Yes, I think that's probably right. I'm exploring lots of things, but I, I'm not committing to them until I can see whether they can be delivered. Yeah, I think that's fair we'd love to know where that came from uh because it's, it's an interesting one because that would imply that i'm not very uh, not a big risk taker uh, and sometimes i feel i have taken a few risks but i, I think um that is probably accurate but i mean i, I mean i mean i mean sort of you know without sort of want to spend you know, it i don't i didn't take that away as not as being someone who takes a risk risks can be managed can't they to a to a point and yeah. you're, you're not you're clearly not from there from that person's eyes you're not someone who will be excited by the challenge for the challenge's sake you're you're someone who who sees this and it's maybe you're a great chess player but you obviously see these see these things in in succession 
Well, if, yeah. I, if I do this, that's the, that's the end result. End result leads on to the start of the next next end, uh, end result and, and, and sequentially then from then thereafter. I, fi I find that really interesting. And again, there's loads. There's loads of sort of Swiss stereotypes about about sort of the uh, <laughs> the, 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 yeah, the, the Swiss the Swiss watch and all. But but in that that I thought was really interesting. What I wanted to ask was, I think about sort of that's obviously the, the external uh, perception. Yeah. As do you think? Have you got better at that as time's gone on? And and if so, have you applied this to Hearthstone, or is this something that you think has is is more innate in terms of something always been been around you. Well, I, I'm not a big ideas as swashbuckling kind of person, so I think my I see my job is to to deliver. I mean, if you work for a large corporate or even for a small company, you've got <clears throat> effectively shareholders to respond to, and um, I want to make sure I'm I'm doing that responsibly uh, and grow the, the value of their shares. I mean, that is ultimately my job. Part of that is. Is, is building teams and making sure people have jobs that they still exist in three years' time and they can get a career out of that. And obviously, uh, alongside that, uh, delivering what we promise to our clients. I, I hate over-promising and under-delivering. So I think that's my, my mindset um, when it comes to the P&L. I want to make sure there's more coming in that's going out the other end. So that is my that very, very firm principles. I, I'm not taking risks where... A company can run out of money or where we create jobs that are unviable in the long term i think that's my 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 cautious side uh, and that's i think uh, that is a very important principle to me so what next well there's plenty more to do i think i've been with hearthstone now for a little bit over four years there was a lot of uh, housekeeping to be done in, in the first phases uh, we, we we've got a great team together now we uh, have grown uh, quite a lot uh, during that time, but we want to grow more. From a personal perspective, I think I'm, uh, I've done a lot of work on the PL, on the marketing, the growth side. I'm getting more, a little bit involved and interested on the actual uh, real estate side as well, which I think is, is, is enormously fascinating uh, at the moment with, with the transition to net zero. The homes we acquire tend to be new homes. Uh, so we, we work with, with developers and buy new houses. And there's a lot happening in terms of uh, making them more energy efficient. Uh, sometimes that's modular. Sometimes it's traditional methods. Uh, there's, uh, it's happened very, very quickly over the last 12 to 18 months. And it's not just talk. It's, it's real action. Uh, there's a lot, lot changing. And I'm personally really interested in how that evolves. There's a lot of technical uh, innovation about materials, about uh, construction methods. Um, I'm at the moment investigating more as well in terms of retrofit that's a huge challenge for for uk housing how do we get all that all the housing stock more energy efficient there's questions about how to finance that how practically to do it how to scale it up so i'm, I'm that's kind of my mentally where, where i get stimulated at the moment um in terms of what, what we're doing next to, as a business well sir it's been an absolute pleasure so thank you very very much for sharing uh, sharing this story with us and um, i've no doubt that our audience has have thoroughly enjoyed sort of, the education and also the the lessons you've shared so thank you again thank you nick it was a pleasure <laughs>